0: Welcome to the Father Effect Podcast. Stories about the lifelong impact fathers have on men, women, and families. Here's your host, John Finch. Hello, hello again. Thanks for joining me for the Father Effect Podcast. Brought to you by the Father Effect movie and book. If you're a first-time listener, you can find out more about the movie, the book, and me at thefathereffect.com. The Father Effect is an outreach of the Perfect Father Ministries, Inc., which is a registered 501c3 nonprofit. Please consider a tax deductible donation on our Patreon page or on our website at thefathereffect.com so we can continue to bring you great programs like the one today. I'm your host, John Finch, and today I'll be joined by Tim Burt, pastor, blogger, speaker, and inventor. Tim shares how God has used his blog to reach millions a day. Growing up as one of 10 kids, A fascinating story about what he invented that you see all the time reading the Bible for the first time at the age of 24 what God has taught him about being a dad grandfather and more if you want to reach me I'm at the father effect on Twitter Facebook Instagram and YouTube and if you're brand new to the show be sure to hit that subscribe button now here's my interview with Tim Burton. welcome pastor
1: welcome John thank you for uh, having me on your show
0: Man, thank you for taking the time. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, some of the people I talk to, it's like, I thought my life would slow down with the pandemic and that I'd had all this time. But it's like, I feel like I'm busier than ever right now.
1: That's true. It is true for me, too. I uh, Because there's so many people on social media, and it's one of my main vehicles of communicating with all the people I do around the world, I find myself communicating uh, probably four to six hours a day on social media, which is more than I ever did.
0: Yeah. So, Tim, tell us, tell everybody about
1: yourself. Like, what do you do? Well, I uh, I, I was, uh, I had uh, a career in the airline for 14 years. Um, while I was in the airline, that really wasn't my goal and destiny. Uh, my goal was to the uh, get educated and go in the ministry and uh, so I was in the ministry for 33 years and um, I just retired two years ago and uh, I, I was 65 years old and one of the reasons I wanted to retire is because I've been writing a a blog it's a it's a Bible devotional I write three times a week and I've been doing that for 20 years and um, it just started out small actually it just started out journaling and um, people started to read it and it just started to grow uh, which was really amazing to me and um, it grew and it grew and it grew and finally 20 years later it's been now read in 220 countries or territories around the world and uh, so it's it's just gone gangbusters and between
0: that
1: and Twitter, which they work hand-in-hand hand together, I, I generally reach about three to eight million people a day. So it's, it's been just a, a great outreach, and uh, but it keeps me very, very busy. It, it, and so Twitter, that's kind of what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah, Twitter is an amazing platform, the way God's obviously connected us. But so many people, it just it seems like a platform unlike a lot of others in the sense that you can connect with people that you may not ordinarily get to connect with.
1: It's really, really true. You know, I, uh, when I first got on Twitter, my son-in-law encouraged me to get on Twitter. I was just writing my blog at that time and he encouraged me to get on Twitter. And, um, I, it, was, it took me a year to really figure it out. I didn't know what to tweet, you know, what people are interested in everything. And then, and then the Lord made me, the Lord reminded me of something. I got saved at the age of 24 years old, gave my life to the Lord. And I, and I started reading the Bible for the first time in my life. I grew up in the church and I had never read a Bible before. Started reading the Bible at the age of 24 and it just consumed my life. I mean, that was just, it was all I could think about. I just couldn't get enough. I was so hungry to learn the word. And that's when I eventually, you know, uh, went to school bible school and um but anyway so one day when i'm uh, on twitter i had this thought i thought you know i never read the bible until i was 24 years old i know there's a bazillion people out there that have never read the bible before they don't even know what scripture looks like they don't even really know what god says they don't know the great things god says they really don't know about god so i started tweeting you know, some scripture with a little note about God or something. And then I would include a link to it that sent it, that linked them back to my website. And then they could read that devotional. And anyway, that just took everything to a whole nother level. And uh, so now I, 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 you know, I have about 205,000 followers on Twitter. And uh, so by the time they retweet what I, I have a very high retweet ratio. And so when they retweet, retweet what I, right it goes to all of their followers and that's how you know virally reaches millions it's pretty incredible it really is
0: yeah it's a platform that man it's it's amazing how powerful it is now before we get into your story as a father the fascinating thing that we were talking about earlier and it just it really is so awesome in my opinion you are an inventor tell people what you invented
1: okay uh you know i when my kids were at the age of newborn i have four children a daughter and three sons and when my children were at the age of two four or newborn two four and six years old um every sunday after church we would go to this local pancake house and uh because the kids loved the pancakes there and it was kind of our big treat of the week and so we would go over there every single week and we literally went there from the time we had just our first baby to now we have four of them and we're going there every week. And uh, they all knew us by name and recognized us. And anyway, so I always had a baby in diapers through all those years. And without fail, every time I was in that restaurant, John, one of my, the one in the baby would blow out that diaper. And so, you know, when a baby was, back in that time, there was uh, no, commercial infant changing tables and so you either had the option to change that diaper at your booth which grossed people out or you would go into the bathroom and the bathrooms were really quite small and had no tabletops whatsoever uh so you had to change them on the floor it was dirty if you went out into the lobby to change the baby it was you know you're 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 changing where people are waiting to go eat that wasn't very good and in the winter time it's 30 below who wants to go out to the car and change your baby. So anyway, it 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 because it happened so many times, it just started to bug me and I thought, how come nobody is inventing something, you know, to solve this problem? So I literally thought about it and was just inventing it in my mind for really 3 years. And finally I just had it down and I knew exactly what to do. And I was sitting in church one day, and I just felt like God spoke to my heart and said, okay, I want you to go do it now. So I started, I met with an attorney, and I went through all the patent searches and did all the things. And I found a guy that could help me design it. And, and, uh, and so then I, you know, I did all the legal things to do to protect myself from a patent. And then anyway, so I finally got it developed, and then I had to go out and convince the world that they needed it. And the first place I went was this chain of pancake houses because that's where I we were every Sunday. And actually, they were the only ones that never put it in until literally <laughs> the rest of the world had it. And uh, but um, I, you know, I, I kept meeting with all of the chain heads, explaining it and showing it. And it wasn't that they didn't think it was a good idea; they were afraid that a baby would fall off. And, uh, and so so it
0: it was the fold down table that you see everywhere now.
1: I'm sorry. Thank you for inserting that. So what I invented was a commercial infant changing table that's attached to the wall that folds down and you put the baby on it and you change the baby right there. And so people see them every day, everywhere. And, uh, that's, that's what I had invented. And so, um, so they, they, they loved the idea. They were afraid that a baby would fall off, and, uh, and they, nobody wanted to be the first to do it. And I had a friend at McDonald's in the McDonald's Corporation who was pretty high up, and, and I met with him in one of his restaurants, and I said, hey, I said, um, let, me tell you what I've, let me tell you and show you what I've created. So I showed it to him, and I just said, he goes, you know, we, we interview 100,000 people a year. Nobody's ever asked. Or anything like that and I said well nobody's ever asked for it because nobody's ever seen it. it it doesn't exist in their mind but I said let's walk around your store you tell me if you had an infant today where you change it and so by the time we walked around and walked into the bathroom and everything else he realized yeah there probably is a need for this so anyway he agreed to put it in a test market in a couple of McDonald's and then a year later they they signed off on it and they let us start selling it to McDonald's and pretty soon mcdonald's was buying it there were a lot of states were buying them for their rest stop the airports were starting to buy them sears um, put one in every one of their bathrooms throughout the united states and um, so it it really really took off and that was about i started building it uh, designing it and working on the patent in 1985 i got the patent in 1988 and now, about 1991 is when they really started taking off. And uh, and and about that time, I had just landed my first job as a pastor in the church. So I sold the company in 1991, wound it down in 1992. And uh, but then just had the joy of watching them be installed everywhere. And uh, and then you know, of course, competition came along and there was other varieties of infant changing tables, but we were the first one.
0: That is so cool, man. I love that story. Now you were one of 10 kids. Tell me that story.
1: Yeah, I was one of uh, 10 children. Um, My dad, uh, I was number five, seven boys and three girls. And I was number five in the family. My dad was uh, a sheriff. And uh, he, the story goes that he told us he was chasing literally a burglar one night and um, the burglar shot back at him and hit him in the leg and uh, they couldn't get the bullet out of his leg. It didn't hurt anything, but it was stuck in the muscle. But anyway, um, my, my mom and dad had had a few kids at that point. My mom said, okay, that's it. Go find another job because I'm not raising all these kids without you. (laughs) around." So a friend of his gave him a job selling cars and my dad, um, my dad was just he, he was a, a big man. He was about six foot two. a good-looking man, very great personality, and um, and he just became a really, really good salesman. And he became such a good salesman, he became one of the—he was—he—he he finally became a Lincoln Continental specialist, and all he sold was Lincoln. And um, and so he became one of the top salesmen for Ford in the whole United States. And he was just a and so, you know, he, he did well, made a good income. He was, he worked hard. Um, My dad, my dad, um, you know, worked six days a week and one, every other day he would get off at five o'clock and and then every other day he'd work all the way from morning till nine o'clock. So six days a week. So he worked his tail off to support 10 kids. Um, But, you know, every spare minute he he had he spent with us he was just really really a terrific father so i was right in the middle of the mob i was i was either the baby of the first five or i was the oldest of the second five and uh, but we had a great family and we had an amazing mom and dad and uh, you know i i watched your video fantastic video moving video You know, so sorry about the loss of your father and all that you went through um and when you and i started talking i thought oh my gosh my story is so opposite of John's. You know, I should I, I mean, I'm the right guy for the show tonight. And, um, but as you said, you know, people need to hear a good side of it. And my dad was just a really, really good man. My mom was an amazing person. They were just, they loved each other all their life and they, they did all the right things they had a great marriage and, and raised us all. And we are a close knit, loving family to this day.
0: That is awesome. Just the legacy of of the closeness of family. Because man, a family that big, you can start going your separate ways, and before you know it, man, you're just kind of doing your own thing and not being staying close. And so, for him to instill the value of that in you, what did he teach you about being a father? Is that
1: part of it, or what else did he teach you? You know, um, when you and I first met and we were communicating back and forth, um, and you, uh, you, I started thinking about, um, you know, what did my, how did my dad mentor me? I think you mentioned that in our conversation, and uh, and I, I was a little bit stuck there. I know how I was mentored by my dad, but to think of him actually purposely trying to mentor me, I got stuck. So I sent a, a, a text or an email to all of my siblings, and I said, hey. I, I got asked this question and I felt like I got stuck a little bit and so everybody was um, we were all talking back and forth we do hilarious chains we still you know to this day it's crazy all the kids and um, so usually it's a comedy before anybody actually gets serious but then um, everybody started saying well you know they all everybody had this kind of the same thought which was our generation their generation they, they didn't say, I love you so much. They showed how much they loved you. And they wanted to lead by example. And so all my siblings have a tremendous work ethic because my dad had the most amazing work ethic. As a salesman, he did things that nobody else did. He would let people call him at home. If their car was broken, he'd go get somebody and they'd pick it up and bring it in for him when he they bought a new car, they didn't even have to come to the dealership. He'd bring somebody there and they'd do all the paperwork right in their home and drop off the car. My dad had an amazing work ethic. But anyway, we all learned that uh, terrific work ethic. And so, you know, most of my siblings do very, very well because they've all worked, they have that work ethic on the inside of them. And then of course, just the love that they showed us and the love for God that they had and, um you know, all those things were modeled day in and day out. My mom never complained about anything, and uh, she was just a very gracious person. And, uh, and my dad, my dad had a little bit of a temper. I mean, when you're trying to corral 10 kids, you raise your voice a little bit. But, you know, we it, it wasn't threatening or abusive. It was just, you know, sometimes you got to yell from the top floor to the bottom <laughs> floor. We had a three-story we had a three-story hotel to, to, you know, to, to manage us all in. So anyway, it really wasn't a hotel. It was a big house that had seven bedrooms.
0: Dude, I can imagine that I only have three, and there's times I have to <laughs> raise my voice. you got 10 kids running around the house. Wow. And, and you know, I say this all the time, that our kids learn to love and serve others by watching us love and serve others. And it sounds like that was,
1: that was your dad. It, that was my dad. It was my dad and it was my mother. You know, my mom never, it, it seemed like whenever she cooked a meal, so there was 12 of us with our parents and it looked like she always cooked for 15 or 16 people so that if any one of us wanted to have a friend over for dinner or, you know, the the local priest or somebody else wanted to come over for dinner, you know, there was always food on the table and never had to turn anybody down. And so they were very hospitable and they just taught us so many things like that so yeah they 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 led by example
0: what are maybe one or two of your sweetest memories growing up with that large of a family
1: well uh actually the dinner table was um usually hilarious because uh because we, we had a couple of brothers that were always cracking us all up um there were always certain meals that some of us didn't like and we were hiding them or you know trying to get rid of them or talk somebody else into eating it but we there was just always a lot of stories and there was a lot of laughter around the table and then you know one of the things about my dad was he he loved people and he had very interesting um, customers and he just got to know his customers So he always talked about his customers at the table and told us about his customers and what they did and everything else. So it was kind of like, you know, listening to a little documentary every night about some fascinating person. And eventually we always got to meet those people. And so, um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a company up here called Medtronic, you know, they make the pacemaker and all that. And, um, that, that, that company started in, uh, the, the guy that started it, his name is Earl Bach, and that started in his garage. And and my dad was selling him cars when he was, you know, when he just had the company coming out of his garage. And I delivered a car to him. So I got to meet him and the kids and everything else. And But anyway, that went on to become Medtronics. And so he had so many customers like that. So he just had fascinating stories. But I think his love for people. Really impacted all of us because I've noticed that all my siblings just really love people. They're all great people, people, and um, and I guess our family's a little bit known for being that extrovert of loving people. So that is completely my mom and dad. And my mom, she was the president of every PTA and everything else, even though she had ten kids and uh, uh, and was cooking nonstop and doing clothes nonstop. She was always still volunteering and serving people, so they were just incredible role models, not so much by word just by doing you know and for setting the example for us
0: now what in what way did he influence you as a husband? was he the kind of publicly affectionate towards your mom or was that kind of behind closed doors or did he really never do that i mean again that generation and this is we talked about this kind of earlier today is you know me understanding my father in in a big piece of that was understanding he couldn't give what he didn't have right so if his dad was he grew up with a dad he didn't know what that looked like to love his wife because he didn't see it modeled was it that generation, a lot of them didn't. And like you said, even they struggled to say, I love you. And I'm proud of you. I believe in you all those things that, that nowadays, you know, I think a lot more fathers do, but what was the story there?
1: Well, you know, um, so here's the deal. Uh, you know, my mom and dad were very disciplined people. So we always went to church every Sunday and everything else. They always made sure we said our prayers at night, you know, and I remember walking into their bedroom one night, um, and I don't remember why or exactly the age, but I do remember seeing my dad kneeling down by the side of his bed and praying. And I, that was like a candid, a Kodak shot in my mind I never ever forgot. And I always thought about my dad that's on his knees and he prays to God. And so I, I had that thought so many times over the years. He's not leaning just on himself, he is leaning on God. And I love that about him. And my mom was exactly the same way. And then, um, uh, tell me the question again. No, but how did he influence you as a husband? Oh, okay. So so he, here's the deal. My dad, um, he was a football player in college. And he's a really, he was a really handsome man. And he was a big man, in good shape, and he was to six, three. And my mom was this cute brunette and, um, very figurey. And she was just really, really cute. And they just absolutely adored each other. They, they, you know, whenever they could spend time together, we got old enough where one of the kids could babysit and they would always go out on dates, go out with other people. And, um, you know, when I got older, when I was in my teenage years, I've always remembered I could finally start seeing a woman hit on my dad. And my dad would never let it happen. He would almost just ignore it. I could see what was going on and, you know, because he was an attractive guy and I saw a woman coming up to him. And and he would just make light of it and, you know, ha ha and move on. and and I just thought my dad is, he, he's so loyal to my mom. I love that about my dad. And my mom was exactly the same way toward him. So I saw the strength of their marriage. I saw that there there was a natural division of duties, you know. And, you know, back in our parents' day, it was more like that. But when women started working more, everything kind of got mixed up around a little bit. But they didn't they they both worked hard but they never complained and they just loved each other. And so they always created the time for themselves. They they always went out on their dates. Dad would um you know, grandma would come over and watch us. My dad won a trips because he was the top salesman and back then when they, they would reward their top salesman with, you know, a four day Cruise or a seven-day to Hawaii or whatever, and he'd he'd win trips like that, and um, he'd just take mom away from the ten kids and just you know give her the best seven days ever, and and oh they were always so refreshed and happy when they came back, and so um, that was my dad. The only month he ever had, the only month we all stayed away from was the month of February because it was the slowest month of car sales every single year and he hated (laughs) February and he was like a grumpy bear in February. But the rest of the year, he was just great. Really a great guy.
0: You know what? And something I think you said is so important for for men and dads to understand is that your dad took the time to take your mom on dates, you know, because that's what me and my wife have been trying to continue to do even as my kids have grown older. And I remember when they were younger, like they were going, You're going on a date again. you know, know, that type of deal, but it's so important for us as husband and wife, at least once a week, if you can do it, you know, but on a regular basis, if nothing else, so that your kids see that. Plus it's just so important for us as a married married couple to do that and have time. A lot of it spent talking about the kids, (laughs) you
1: know, whatever, but it's just so valuable. Right. I I couldn't agree with you more. And, um, that's one of those things, you know, he, again, he was never one to try and, you know, tell me what to do or how to be a good father or whatever. Matter of fact, I, I suppose, again, just that generational thing, um, you know, getting deep down in outcoming coming flowing from his heart his deep thoughts and things like that. We didn't have a lot of those kinds of conversations. And, and I suppose he just didn't want to be telling. He was very in, unintrusive in our life. But if we asked him something, he would always give us his, his opinion and, and help out. But, you know, one of the things I did learn from him, because by example, is um, getting away. So I would do that with my wife. We would take, we would go get away for just a, we had a very, very, very busy life. For a while, I was um, working for the airlines full time. I was inventing that infant changing table and trying to get that company off the ground. And I had a commercial painting company. And I was doing all three of them and then raising four small children. It, our lives were nuts. And I, we knew that as long as every three months we would go just go to a hotel for a weekend or, um, or get the kids and bring them all to a hotel with a swimming pool for a weekend. We did that every single three months so that we always had something coming that we were looking forward to. So it refreshed us as a family. It refreshed us in our marriage. And then, you know, we couldn't always go on all the dates. We just didn't have. We were, it took a lot of our money just to invest in that, in the invention. So, but um, Renee's mom and dad, my wife's mom and dad would say, bring the kids over. And then you guys just go out and, uh, and have dinner. Take as long as you want. When you come home, you know, we'll, we'll put the kids in the car and bring them home. And so we literally did that almost every week. And so we always dated each other to try and keep ourselves fresh. And, we, and I learned that from example. My wife didn't really have a good father figure. Uh, he wasn't in the picture. He, he, she had a wonderful stepfather, but the original father was uh, not good. And so um, that brought, you know, our lifestyle brought restoration to that whole thing.
0: That's awesome, brother, I love it. Was there a particular piece in your life as a father, maybe early on, that you struggled with? And, and how did you overcome it, or what did God show you through that?
1: You know, if there's any young fathers, and I hope that there's a lot of them watching the show when, when this is finally broadcast. Um, you know, one of the things I tell uh, young dads I, I, I happen to be in two small groups right now that meet week, weekly, and one of them guys more my age and the other ones are young dads. And, they, and I tell them all the time, you know, um, yes, we have the Bible, and the Bible is our manual for how to do what we need to do, but it's not quite as easy to figure out, you know, it doesn't say how you handle this situation or that situation. It's just speaking for wisdom, get wisdom, you know, and things like that. So I just said, you know, Don't wonder if you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna make mistakes Mistakes and then when they when you make them don't beat yourself up Recover gracefully if you blew it with your wife Don't hide it. Just say I'm so sorry I got it wrong and hug her and love on her and and just try and learn from them But you know you you make a lot of mistakes You, You maybe you do a lot of things right, but you make a lot of mistakes and I, I would say, you know, I, I had a little bit of a temper when I moved first, got married. And, um, and it wasn't good. It made my wife cry. And uh, so then we would have talks about it. And I, I just really worked on them it until it, I didn't have a temper anymore. You know, it takes time. and But I finally, she just said, you know, it's not just about me. She said, the kids are going to see it. And then one day they're going to grow up with a temper. And I knew she was right. And so, you know, I've been one to help people you know, think about anger and how they manage their emotions and things like that, because I realized it's it's so easy to just think your emotions are your emotions and there's not anything you can do about them. But anyway, I would say that was probably my biggest weakness that I can think of. I had a great work ethic. I was very, I I took the kids to a park almost every night I was home. Um, I I leave the TV off and just play with them. So... I had a lot of things I was doing right, but then I, you know, there was just some of those things that were not so right. And I would, I think my wife would say it was probably, you know, the early days of having a temper or getting angry. And um, I just learned that most things that you get angry about are stupid. They're petty. They're going to go away. You're going to look back when time. You're going to be very embarrassed that you even got embarrassed over, or angry over things like that and you know the bible talks about it being like a badge of honor to overlook events and that was one of the greatest scriptures for me i just thought okay i'm gonna wear that badge i'm not going to get offended at stupid things matter of fact I even made a decision in my marriage um early enough i, I by the grace of god I, I just thought you know it takes two people to fight and if i never fight with her we will not fight, and the, the description of the Bible says, you know, without without wood in the fire, the fire burns out. And so I just I, I took the logs out of the fire, and when she would argue or some, about something, I just I would be as negotiating and as I could, and let's work it out. And but I would refuse to fight, and because I refused to fight, it ended fights in our house. It revolutionized our marriage. I mean, you know, I, most people can't even imagine that. But, but I, I've had that attitude. I just refuse to fight. So I'll listen to her. I'll, we'll try and talk it through and we'll work it out. But I will not get angry and I will not fight over it. So that was something that was a radical change in my marriage. And it was an awesome change. And it really reflected, well, the kids noticed it boy dad is so much more mellow what happened you know
0: so anyway yeah and i think what you said is so important it's if we're afraid to make mistakes we're gonna i'd say this all the time if you're not making mistakes you're not doing your best to be a dad <laughs> because you are gonna make mistakes i make mistakes to this day and continue and i will make mistakes and it's, it's in that process that I think our kids see that we're real and that we're imperfect. Right. And we're going to make mistakes and it's okay for them to make mistakes.
1: Yep. We had a, you know, we had a, we had a large, uh, small group, uh, probably had about 150 people in it, um, called marriage matters at church. And my wife and I originally put that group together and, um, and, uh, to minister to couples and, you know, when those couples came together and they heard other couples talk about the problems that they had, it's like lights went on and they went, Oh my gosh, we thought we were the only ones that had these problems. And then they found out everybody has these problems. And so just people finding out, you know what I mean? You're not perfect, you do have problems. And well, how do you work through them? And, you know, I, that's what I love about small groups because you have that opportunity to be real and And um, and then you help other people not feel like they're broken. You know, they go, no, we're just like everybody else. We're just we have struggles and we're working through them. But yeah, guys need to know that they need to know that you know, marriage is something you learn. You learn to adapt to each other, and that's a really that's a term I use a lot. But when guys will adapt to really, you know, pay attention to what their wife really needs, what's really important to them and kind of adapt to that. And, you know, ask, you know, tell their wives what's important to me. And, and when husband and wife will adapt to each other, you know, on the really important thing, it's, it's, you'll have a great marriage really well.
0: Yeah. And you're right. And marriage is tough. Anybody that tells you it's easy, <laughs> it's lying. And I've been married 25 years and then we continue, yeah. we've gotten a lot better but we continue. There's just so many things that come up with raising children and just, you know, everything that it's, it's tough. Now, how many kids do you have? I have
1: four kids, a daughter and then three sons.
0: And how old are they?
1: Uh, my daughter is uh, She's 38. And then I have a son, 36, 34, and 32. My daughter's married and she is uh and has two daughters and they're missionaries in peru
0: wow so i usually ask this question to wrap up and i will ask you this question but i'll ask you another question too
1: what's the best thing about being a dad uh the best thing about being a dad is um being able to just have your just love your kids um And to be able to influence them um, to what's really important in life, you know, your purpose to serve the Lord, but, you know, when when we talk about uh, serving the Lord, we talk to our family about um, influencing the world around you, you know, Uh, and they've they've all picked up on that. I'm I'm convinced, remember when Jesus said in the scriptures, he said, um, the harvest is ripe. When he said the harvest is ripe, he was telling his disciples that, you know, you got people all the way around, all around you that are looking for truth and are looking for answers. And nothing has changed. The harvest is still ripe. You are, each one of us is living in a world surrounded by people that are looking for truth and are looking for God. That's why I've been successful on Twitter, because I know that truth. There is a sea of people that are searching for God, searching for answers, searching for truth. And so we've always taught our kids that, um, that you always have people around you. First of all, if you'll just be a light and really let people sense the love of God through you, they will notice you. And at some point in their life, if they're in your life, continually they'll want you to be a part of their life and let you speak into their life. So we've just taught our kids, you know, we love our kids so much. We enjoy their success. We enjoy their children. Um, I just, we just love, you know, we love being parents. I love being a dad. Now I get to be a grandfather and it's amazing. Got seven grandkids.
0: Now that's where I was headed next. What's the best thing about being a grandfather?
1: The best thing about being a grandfather is you can just love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. them. And they're excited to see you and stay overnight or whatever. And then you get to turn them back to the parents. (laughs) You pump them full of sugar. (laughs) And I I don't have to do any of the discipline. I don't have to do any of the, you know, the molding per se for the most part. You know, the parents get to do all that. So I just get to like. I, I we use the word spoil jokingly, but I love spoiling my kids. Just having a, a grandkids a blast with them and then when they're over, you
0: know. You know what, too? I can imagine. I don't have grandkids yet, but it's those moments where you, as a grandfather, sit back and you can laugh and almost giggle because your grandkids are doing to their dad what they used to do to you, right? And you just kind of oh like, yeah
1: absolutely and I remind my kids of that okay you're going to get back some of what you got but you know every Sunday when we come out of church um that my my son my son three of my kids don't live in Minnesota where we live um so I see but my son doesn't we are at the same church and so when the service is over and uh we walk out to the lobby the grandkids I can see them running from across the lobby and they're running all the way to us and they're jump up in our arms and they kiss us and they hug us and oh my gosh grandchildren are awesome. they love
0: it it's really a reward yeah Yeah, it is it's so cool dude tell people how they connect with you on twitter on facebook wherever else
1: okay well my name is tim burt b-u-r-t and i always tell people if you can't remember my name think about what a lumberjack says when he cuts down a tree Timber. But anyway, it's it's, it's Timbert, uh, Tim Burt, T-I-M-B-U-R-T, and uh, my website is is uh, Timbert dot org, uh, and that's where my devotions are, and I publish them three times a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then uh, I'm on Twitter. I t- tweet every hour of every day, seven days a week, and um, some of those are scheduled out in advance, but but. Uh, you'll see one on my uh on my twitter page and that's just at Tim on twitter so that's my twitter name and so um you'll you know you can see what we we do what we put out there we also do missionary work my wife and i um we're kind of shut down right now because of coronavirus but um we will soon as it opens back up again we'll be back in peru doing some missionary work we work with some other pastors uh for in Africa, India, and, um, and then Peru. That's mostly where we've done our work.
0: Brother, I appreciate your time, man. And, and thanks again for taking this time to, to come share your story and, and uh, share all that you do because you're doing such great work. I, the Twitter, just the Twitter audience, man, the people you're influencing, the lives you're pointing to, wow, it's incredible.
1: Thank you, John. And, you know, God bless you in all that you do. I mean, helping dads become better fathers is so needed. It really, really, really is so needed. I mean, dads just need somebody to talk in their ear and encourage them and share a little bit of wisdom and, you know, what you've done and what you've learned. And and uh, God bless you for continually trying to reach dads help them. I didn't have that when I was a dad. I didn't have anybody that I, that I knew to really speak into my life. So the fact that people like you are out there doing that really, really blesses me and I appreciate so much what you're doing. God bless you for that.
0: Thank you, brother. I It's all God, bro. <laughs> it's all God. I'm still learning too. So we will definitely reconnect soon. I appreciate you.
1: Okay. And you too. Thank Thanks, you so brother. much. And that concludes
0: another episode of the Father Effect podcast. Be sure to connect with Pastor Tim Burt on Twitter, and don't forget to check out the Father Effect movie and book. Hit that subscribe button, and please consider leaving us a review. Remember, your life is your legacy, and what you do and say every day is impacting your family and the generations to come. Thanks for listening to the Father Effect podcast with John
1: Finch. Please subscribe and leave a comment too. To find out more, go to thefathereffect.com. That's thefathereffect.com.